Hey, welcome to My First Time, a mostly sexy sex podcast from Broadly. My name is Zing Sing. Today on My First Time, what's it like to write about sex for a living? Hey, my name's Alex, and this is a story about the first time I realised that writing about sex isn't always that sexy. Our guest today, Alex Fox, is a journalist. She's been writing about sex for most of her working life, and not just everyday sex either. She's enjoyed writing about all kinds of fetishes and kinks. But for Alex, this line of work has its challenges. It's not always straightforward. This is her story. I did a degree in Leeds University in linguistics. I actually had a business card, cringily at the time, that's, that proclaimed I was a cunning linguist. I think I was just a bad joker. Um, but I'd always wanted to work in journalism. And I'd been writing for music mags and doing restaurant reviews and kind of anything I could lay my hands on back in Leeds to learn my craft and prove myself as a writer. Uh, And I got a call from one of the magazines I was working for asking me if I wanted to move to London and be a national editorial assistant. I arrived in London pretty much without two coppers to rub together. I was very, very poor. And because the job was entry-level journalism, it didn't pay a lot. And I made friends with a girl who was an alcohol PR. She asked me if I was up for this random job promoting a black Sambuca fern by going to fetish parties and having girls in latex outfits give out these shots. I got 200 quid a rubber dress and a bottle of Opal Nera Black Sambuca. So I said yes. It was a weird and wild night and suddenly I found myself with not only the connections to go to more of these fetish parties, but the outfit to boot. Uh, So I started hanging out at um, places like Killing Kittens, Torture Garden, making friends on that circuit. At one of these parties, a photographer approached me and asked to take my picture. And I remember distinctly what I was wearing. In fact, I've still got the photo somewhere. And it's it's a really cheesy photo. I'm pointing at the camera and snarling and uh, it's naff. But that photo really changed my life because what I didn't know was that it was being shot for a magazine called Bizarre who covered everything alternative. And they got in contact with me to ask me what my name was and get a bit of background info for a caption. I replied and they noticed from my email signature that I was working in this very entry-level journalistic job. I guess they liked the way I look, they liked the way I expressed myself and they asked me if I'd got any ideas. That one first pitch they said yes to. And from then on, I was regularly employed by this magazine In case you didn't know, Bizarre was a counterculture magazine that ran from 1997 to 2015. If it was kinky, alternative or tattooed, Bizarre was all over it. Alex had plenty of interesting experiences working there. The first time I ever did anything sexual in my line of work as a journalist, we went to a strip club 
And I'd actually never been to a strip club before. I think I was about 24. It was just something that had never really come onto my radar at that point. I was quite green, to be honest. And I can remember thinking that it was simultaneously really intriguing and uh, my eyes must have been so wide that never mind like saucers. I think I had an entire Royal Dalton dinner set going on there. But I also felt nervous. I remember thinking, oh my God, what's my mum going to say when she sees these pictures? And in one of the photos, there was a topless girl dancing seductively in front of me and curling her body very cat-like towards me. She absolutely oozed sexuality like it was sap. I, however, in this photo, look like an uncomfortable mixture of really turned on, really aware that there was a camera on me while I was turned on, and also just totally not knowing how to deal with the situation. It's actually a brilliant shot because it encapsulates so many emotions. But I remember that night calling home and going, so, uh, guess what I did at work today? And thankfully, my mum is incredibly open-minded and has always been very accepting of the fact that I I do have this kind of experimental, unusual career. And she just said, you know, so long as you're comfortable, I'm comfortable. I, I, I trust you. You will represent yourself in the way that you feel A-OK with. In the early days, writing about sex was new and exciting for Alex. Bazaar was able to explore the kinky stuff with thoughtfulness and made sure to look after their writers. I once did a shoot where I asked a shibari master, an expert in the art of Japanese bondage, what his ultimate unfulfilled dream was. And he said, well, I'm a really avid scuba diver and I'd really like to tie someone up uh, at the bottom of a lake or a pool. I ended up clad in this mermaid, bright blue, royal blue mermaid outfit. It was made out of this strange foil, so it was all all shiny. And because my legs were held together in the tail, there was already an element of restriction. So it was sort of inbuilt bondage, if you will. Uh, We then had a setup where rather than having my own oxygen tank, my dive buddy had a tank with an extra line coming off it, so he was responsible for my air. We put lead weights in the tail of the mermaid outfit. I had lead weights around my wrist. We climbed into the pool, s Bruce, the guy who was the shibari expert, tied me up under there. We devised this series of signals using my head because that was the only part of my body that I was able to move and of course I I couldn't make noise under the under the water so if I nodded that meant everything's okay Uh, if I shook my head from side to side it meant get me the fuck out of this water right away we built up my confidence to the point where even though I was completely tied up under this water my dive buddy was able to take my oxygen away and I, I I had to learn how long I could hold my breath for before the pressure in my lungs got to the point that I knew that he needed to swim back and give me a shot of life. <laughs> I'm also quite short-sighted, so for the first part of that shoot, I was wearing goggles with my um, contact lenses on underneath. We thought it would look better in the picture if I didn't have goggles, but that necessitated me taking my lenses out as well. So as well as being restrained, as well as being not able to breathe, I was also quite blind. I found this 
to be maybe surprisingly serene experience. I think I entered subspace, which is a term that a lot of people into SNM use for when you're so adrenalized and when your endorphins are, are, are rushing so high from either a sense of danger or a sense of pain that you get kind of floaty and you get bizarrely calm. I loved that sensation, but it was also provoked by the fact that I felt very, very safe with the people I was with. I knew that they wouldn't let anything bad happen to me. I hope that that story illustrates the fact that, yes, I am an adventurous person and no, I'm not opposed to going on personal journeys for my job. Up until this point, Alex had been writing about sex habits that most people didn't think of as being particularly mainstream. But in 2011, everything changed. There were no shades of grey on this for me. Fifty Shades of Grey, the books. Fifty Shades of Grey, the films. I think they're all bilge. I can't stand them. I think the writing's terrible. I think the depiction of S&M is unhealthy and uh, unrealistic. But I can't deny that Fifty Shades as a social phenomenon started off lots of interesting and constructive conversations. It opened up so many people's minds to the new potential of things that might interest them. And suddenly it became much more permissible for more people to say that they were intrigued by that kind of stuff and that maybe they might want to try it. Fifty Shades changed the world in a macro sense and it changed my world in a micro sense. For me, suddenly because so many people were interested in talking about this and it was a lot more palatable, I got a lot of phone calls asking me if I would write about it. Now, at this point, I'd been at Bizarre for over half a decade And I'd spent a lot of that time gaining the trust of people in alternative communities. Up until that point, lots of folks who were uh, dominatrixes or male dominants, who were professional submissives, as well as people who were just into that scene on a casual, personal level rather than working in it, many, many of them had an understandable high degree of trepidation about interacting with the media. So I'd spent a long time convincing those people that they could trust me to be compassionate, they could trust me to represent them in a way that was accurate, and that whilst I wouldn't shy away from some of the more tough and uh, controversial discussions surrounding alternative sexual practices, that I also wasn't out to get them. I wasn't there to make trouble for them. As a specialist journal writing about sex, Post Fifty Shades... Alex was in demand. She had the stories, the contacts and the trust. I went freelance shortly after the Fifty Shades phenomenon because I was just getting so much interest from other publications, broadcasting platforms, that it felt like a good step to make. I had this reputation then of being someone that would perhaps go a bit further than your average journalist. And to some extent that was in my favour. It meant I got the jobs that nobody else could manage but it also meant that expectations of what I would do were high. This placed a lot of responsibility on me because whilst I was interested in elevating my own career and indeed it was incredibly exciting for me to be contacted by people like The Guardian, I was still very young, I was in my mid-twenties, that was thrilling, that was something I'd always wanted but I also felt the weight of needing to care for the people I was working with 
when you are telling your story to a small magazine aimed at people like you, that's a very different scenario to telling your story to a massive newspaper that's going to go out to all and sundry. And even though I wanted to represent them with the same care and respect that I always had, I was working with editors who might change my stories in different ways or who had different agendas to the niche publication that I'd been working for for a long time. So it was an exciting moment, but it did also suddenly amp up the weight of what I was doing. Alex had spent the last five years working with some incredibly understanding editors. But now there was pressure on her to get the stories and her new colleagues didn't quite get the sensitivities involved. Sometimes the language used to encourage me to be extreme was quite coercive when I look back on it. I would have editors say things like, oh, we're really stoked to work with you because we know we can depend on you to go further than anyone else. We know that you're going to write a story which will be incomparable to anything else that's out there. And whilst that's very flattering, it's also hella pressured. You know, I felt like sometimes that I was on a submarine deep beneath the sea with bloody David Bowie and Queen singing under pressure at me. You know, I felt like there was a lot of emphasis on how it was my duty almost to get the scoop to go beyond what had ever been done before by other people. And that was flattering, but it was also kind of flattening. As a journalist, Alex has told some amazing stories about sex. She's had so many first times and participated in so many other people's first times too. But she's also had a number of not so amazing times. One monumental commission that I was asked to do was investigating a new movement called Orgasmic Meditation or OM. In its essence, it involves a woman laying in a particular position on the floor whilst a man strokes her clitoris for 15 minutes. When I agreed to write this piece, I was in a relationship and my plan was to go along with my fella at the time, hear about what the practice was like and then maybe go and try it on our own in private. When it came to it, I found myself single. I was, so I was already quite vulnerable. I'd just gone through a breakup, which was quite tough. Uh, and I must acknowledge that. That, that was part of my, my private life, which nobody could have foretold. But I rocked up on my own. The day was long. I think it was about eight hours, six or eight hours. And it began with a long lecture about the practice and then a live demonstration of it. I'd read other reports about OM and every single other writer at that time hadn't done it, at least in the UK. They'd gone for the talk and then they'd walked. I was intrigued to find out myself, yeah, But I also had a lot of internal angst about what might happen with my article uh, and the fact that I probably wouldn't please the person who was employing me if I didn't go through with this. When it came to the actual activity of oming, I was paired up, I happened to be paired up with the only person in the room who, as the day went on, I had felt uneasy about. Unfortunately, though, because everybody else had chosen their partners previously either it was people they'd come with or people that they'd met at this taster session I was left with a situation where if I didn't om with this dude I didn't om at all I really didn't want to om with him I decided after a lot of intense 
internal wrangling, which I had to wrangle very, very fast, that I would go through with it. I thought, well, it'll be an experience and felt like it was my duty as a journalist. So I was there laying on the floor with my legs in the kind of position that you would uh, assume if perhaps your gynaecologist was there, really, really exposed in every aspect. I just tried to stay inside of my own head. I let my thoughts wander where they wanted to go. I tried to focus on the bodily sensations and not focus on who was delivering them. It wasn't a horrible experience. It was just weird. Afterwards, I thought, well, you know, that was a thing. The mood really started to become a lot darker for me. Firstly, when, as I was getting dressed, uh, I decided to say to this awkward guy, hey, you know, thanks for doing that with me. I, I know that was a really, really vulnerable position for us both to put ourselves in. I know that that involved a huge amount of trust. Thanks for going through that admittedly strange experience with me. I absolutely was chilled to the bone when he said, ha ha, you don't know me. I'm just a stranger. I could go on the internet now and tell everyone what your genitals look like. Uh, and you're a journalist, so it'd be, it'd be really, really easy for me to find out like who you are. Ha! And when I said, you are being really inappropriate and you're making me feel quite frightened. Why are you saying this? He went, oh, I was just, I was just joking. It's just a weird situation though, isn't it? Because you don't know me from Adam. And he was kind of manic and jumpy and I thought, is he nervous or is he trying to intimidate me or even blackmail me? At the end of the class as well, he approached me again and said, so can I have your number? We should meet up. And I said, uh... No, I I didn't come here to meet people today. I came here to understand more about this practice and also to report on it for my job. Um, I'm not interested in pursuing anything further with you. And he seemed quite put out by that and again kind of made reference to the fact that uh, he felt like that was a bad move for me because we'd just done this intimate thing. The next day I had to write that piece up I kept getting emails from my editor going, where's the text? The deadline's approaching. And I tried to express to them that I was finding it hard to write because actually it had been a really, really tough experience for me and that I was processing, on some degree, elements of trauma. The editor was understanding to a degree, but I felt like their compassion was lessened by their urgency to get their magazine to print. I did write the piece, I delivered it late, for which, frankly, I don't apologise this time. And it got cut down to about 250 words. And having been through all of that, only for this snippet, this paragraph, with a nice headshot of me smiling to be included in this glossy mag, I felt like I'd given a lot of myself for very, very little. For Alex, this story, among others, has played an important part in her life as a journalist. She used to be a people pleaser. Now she's more careful about what she says yes to. That piece was pivotal in changing the way that I approach my job in order to take care of myself. 
because I realised that uh, as ambitious as I am within the media, if I don't look after myself, I was going to burn out or I was going to have, frankly, some kind of nervous breakdown. You can't do a good job unless you are in a good state of mind. I am a person who wants to explore my boundaries and I am a person who recognises that as I evolve, as I grow, my boundaries are probably going to change. In fact, all of us have boundaries that are they're at their title, I find. According to uh, your state of mind, uh, what's going on in your life at that time, something that you might be okay with or open-minded about at one point can feel different on a different day. So being aware of the own ebb and flow of how you operate and also being aware of the kinds of things that are likely to make you feel uncomfortable, foregrounding that, recognising that that is important and there is nothing unprofessional about saying to someone else, this is my hard no or this is something that I might not know until I'm there and I'm not going to do it for you if I don't feel okay about it for me. The way I approach my jobs now is when I'm discussing things initially with editors, I will make it very clear that my priority is me, not the story. (laughs) I think there is a fear sometimes within journalism of nuance. Uh, People feel like they have to be very, very for something or very, very against it. That's not true. Again, ironically, we're coming back to the shades of grey here, but I think it's really important to recognise, particularly within sex and relationships, that often things can feel jumbled and, and fumbled and it's okay to reflect upon all the feelings that you might have. It's great listening to Alex talk about how nuanced sex can be. That's something we've always tried to highlight on this podcast. First times in sex can be wild and joyous and freeing, but they can also be complicated and tough and messy. The important thing, as Alex points out, is to be honest about how you feel. Looking after myself and being honest has been extremely freeing for me, but the reaction I've gotten from other people who've said, thank you for sharing that, thank you for not just making out that all things sex are wonderful, Thank you for saying that you felt confused. That feedback and that sensation that by being honest about myself, I'm helping to support, guide, that has been incredibly grounding for me. I have come to believe that by being honest about the fact that sometimes my job is difficult and sometimes it's a bit traumatic and sometimes I have to say no, I've given other people permission to say no. And I've also have been contacted by other journalists who said cheers for that because now they feel like there's a little bit less pressure on them. Thanks for listening to My First Time, a mostly sexy sex podcast from Broadly. My name is Zing Sing and I'm the UK editor of Broadly. This episode was produced by Sam Bonham. If you're into what we're doing, share the love, rate and subscribe if you can, and check out the article on Broadly featuring Alex too. See you in a bit. Even on a budget, 
Quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.